Okay, last but not least, um, I'm not on social media, and so when things happen with my family and stuff, I love to kind of share some stuff with you. And so I'll put this picture up. Um, the first one, my son Zach graduated from USC yesterday. <laughs> and um, I'll show you the next picture. I want to tell you, um, show me the next one. There's me and his mom there. And it means mom were sitting there talking, and uh, we just started crying our eyes out because Four years ago when he graduated high school, uh, he had this huge desire to go to college, and he specifically wanted to go to University of South Carolina. And um, I said, I'm a pastor. I said, I can't, I can't pay for you to go to college like that. I'm sorry. You're going to have to do something else. And uh, we just don't have the money. And he said, no, I'm going to USC. I said, okay, son. I said, but we, don't, we have no idea how it's going to happen. <clears throat> he worked that summer and um, you know, saved up a little bit of money. Of course, not enough to go to a university. And uh, when it came time for orientation, he said, I want to go to orientation. We said, but son, there's no way we're going to be able to, we're going to, be able to send you to college. We go to the orientation, and there's, uh, it's, a, it's the ba basketball stadium. There's about 18,000 people that are there, uh, parents and kids, and all these kids that want to come to college. And uh, as they're going through the orientation and going through everything, um, my kids somehow think that I, um, if there's something they want, that at some point I'll figure out a way to make it happen. And this was one thing I could not figure out a way to make it happen at all. And towards the end of orientation, um, he looks at his mom and he says, what are we going to do? And she said, honey, I don't know. We told you. At the very end of orientation, the presenter, the, the, the speaker that was talking, had an announcement. He said, um, you know, there was over 10,000 kids in the room. They said, we're going to call out three um, numbers. Everybody got a number when they came in. We're going to call out three sets of numbers. If we call your number, we want you to come down front and meet us in this side room. They called out the three numbers. The third one was, was my son, Zach. They bring us down. They pull in a side room. They said, every year, USC likes to do something really special for three of its uh, kids wanting to come to college. We want to give you a full-ride, four-year scholarship to college. So not only was his whole school paid for and his books, but the first two years, it also paid for his room and board and food. So the last two years, he had to take out a loan to, just for room and board and food for the last two years. So he graduated with a bachelor's degree from the University of South Carolina with less than $20,000 debt. And I put his phone number up there because if you're friends with me, I would love for you to just send him a text and congratulate him and tell him you're proud of him. And um, he said us to especially let Dan and Jason Potter know so they can send him some money. So... Um, <laughs> <laughs> but we're so proud of him, I can't even tell you. And you know, that's a, it's funny because he, out of all my five kids, he did not serve God the most out of the other, other kids. Uh, he did not get in less trouble than the other kids. Let me, let me just say it this way. He didn't hardly serve God. He got into a lot of trouble and a lot of bad things happened, right? But the Bible says that the seed of the righteous will be mighty on the earth. It also says that when you do your best to serve God, that he'll watch after your children and your children's children. So I believe because me and his mom serve God regardless of what happens in life. I believe that's why God did what he did. I mean, God actually did it for me. He saved me $250,000 so, <laughs> on my car insurance. And so um, I'm just kidding. And um, so that should always be a, um, it should be a drive for any of you in here who ever feel like giving up. If you don't do it, if you don't, don't keep going just for yourself. You keep going for your children and your children's children. And God will always honor his word. Amen. Okay, so here we go. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 2, 4. God has approved and accepted me. God has approved and accepted me. Jeremiah 20 and 11. God has a great plan for my life. 
Romans 8.31, if God is for me, who dare be against me? Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Luke 4.18, the Lord has anointed me. I am anointed. God has a great plan for my life. And I will fulfill my destiny. Before you sit down, fist bump somebody and say, God will always watch after our kids. And Mark Flanders, I need just a little bit more wherever you're at. Just a little bit more. I'll send you Zach's Venmo account later on for all of you, so. <laughs> okay, we're in a series called The Fruit of the Spirit. Specifically, it is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not weird. He is not um, rude. He is not impatient. The Holy Spirit produces fruit in our life, and that is the personality of God. When we got saved, the Holy Spirit came into our life. Jesus is actually seated at the right hand of the Father, biblically speaking. It's the Holy Spirit that comes into our life, and He produces fruit the more we spend time with Him. Galatians 5.22 is our memory verse. Let's read it good and strong. Ready, go. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, humility, and self-control. In part one, I gave you the analogy of when, in the old days when you take a picture with a camera, you have the picture, but it takes time for it to be developed for somebody to actually see it, right? I'll give you another analogy with this today. Um, I have a six-pack of abs right here. I mean, I have abs. Like, I mean, they are, whoo, I got abs. I got abs. You just can't see them because they're covered up by flabs. I got flabs. I got flabs. But if I were to do a lot of crunches, not cinnamon toast crunches, not captain crunches, but if I were to do a lot of exercise crunches, at some point I would develop it to where you could see those abs. I got them. They're just not able to be seen right now. You understand? Same thing is true with this. When you got saved, you got all of this inside of you. The more you spend time with Jesus, he is the one who produces it in your life. It gets developed, and people can taste and see that the Lord is good through you. Amen? Okay, so with each sermon in the series, I like to add another little word to make it more interesting for myself. Part one was uniting in love. Part two was on non-circumstantial joy. Today in part three, it's this, lips of peace. Lips of peace. There is a demon that is running rampant through churches today. This demon runs through your home. He's in your marriage. He gets in your relationships, your friendships. He is at work. He is on the world news. He is on social media. It is a demon called strife. Strife will always, always, always steal the peace of God from your life if you allow that demon to come into your life. There are three main ways that this demon comes in, and uh, these are kind of similar to my three points today, but the first way is through our mouth. When you have to have the last word, when you have to always give your opinion, when you have to push your convictions on other people, because God showed you something, now you want to tell everybody what God showed you. That produces strife. The next way is through our ears, what we choose to listen to. We listen to the latest juicy gossip. We listen to slander, we listen to negativity, we listen to all the deaths going on in the world and all the bad things going on in our city. Strife enters in and peace starts to seep out. You start to lose your peace because your heart can only hold so much. The third way is through our mind. 
we're thinking about the offense, the hurt, all the bad things, the fear, and strife enters in because we're not dwelling on the Word. The reason we go to the Word whenever there's strife is because the Word uh, has wisdom in it. And wisdom always brings peace to any and every circumstance that is going on in our life. I want to prove to you that... Um, that strife kind of starts with what you say and what you listen to with a bunch of scriptures here, Proverbs 16, 21. The wise are discerning, but sweet lips increase learning. And if you ever want to correct somebody that's under you, the goal of correcting people is not to tell them what they're doing wrong. The goal is for them to learn. They learn through sweet lips. Proverbs 21, 23, whoever guards his tongue keeps his uh, soul, his mind, will, and emotions from trouble. In other words, the more you shut up, the healthier you can be. That's the Socrates translation. Proverbs 10, 19 says this, in the multitude of words, I love this one, this is so funny. For those of us that talk a lot, in a multitude of words, sin is unavoidable, but he who silences his lips is wise. I think the message translation says, the more you talk, the more you sin. James 1, 26, if you think that you are serving God, but you do not bridle your tongue, your religious service is worthless, and your heart is deceived. For all of you in here that think you're serving God, if it doesn't come out of your mouth the right way, it's all worthless. There's no reward. You get nothing. And I've heard people say, well, I just tell the truth. When they ask me, I just, I just speak the truth. Well, the truth a lot of times can actually be a word in the Bible called slander. Proverbs 10, 18 says, he who spreads slander has foolish lips. Slander is anything that causes a person to lower his opinion of another person. Isaiah 57, 19, God creates the fruit of the lips, and if you say the right words, here's what you can have. Peace, peace, and healing to him. You know our mouth can actually create healing in the lives of people? Proverbs 18, 6, a fool's lips bring strife, and his mouth is his ruin. Now, out of all the fruit, I would dare say that peace is the most underrated fruit there is. I would gamble, um, I bet that about, 90% of you in the room don't even know what it's like to have perfect peace because you're surrounded by chaos and it's so norm for our society, you don't even realize it. You don't even realize that when you're talking at work and how you're you know, gossiping about the boss, you don't even realize that strife that enters in. You go home, there's noise, there's yelling, there's fighting, there's arguing. You turn on the world news, it just keeps on going and going. When is the last time you turned your cell phone off you stopped reading everybody's social media business, and you just went walking on the beach with nobody but you and Jesus. Man, that'll bring peace in your life. Now, I told you that each one of the fruit, they do something unique in our life. In other words, love is for relationships. Joy is for strength. We talked about that last week. You know what peace is for? You might want to write this down. Peace is how God leads you and directs you. So you can either be led and directed by God or you can have the last word in the argument, one or the other. You can either be led and directed by God, or you can make sure you let everybody know what you're convicted of so they are convicted of the same thing. I had a lady ask me last week on that interview, I said somebody told her she shouldn't wear gold because the Bible says you shouldn't have a golden image in your life or something like that. I said the Bible also says to mind your own business. Tell them that. First Thessalonians 4.11. First Thessalonians 4.11. So let me read your scripture. Colossians 3.15, let peace from Christ act as an umpire. In other words, is this road safe or is it out? In your hearts, deciding with decisions all finality, all questions that arise in your minds. Now you can say whatever you want to say. You can listen to whatever you want to listen to. You can dwell on whatever you want, but you won't be able to hear God clearly in your life. 
I don't know about you, but man, hearing from God is like the height of relationship with the creator of the universe. You're really going to give that up so you can prove your point? So you can make sure that, you know, you let them know what you think about the situation? You're really going to give that up. I have three points for today. They all start with the letter P because we're talking about peace. Point number one is this, Paul's. Paul's. James 1.19, let every person be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. I heard about this construction worker. He had worked at the same job for 20 years, never got promoted. One day this young guy gets hired, and after about six months, he's already climbing the corporate ladder. So he goes to the older guy, and he says, man, you've been here 20 years, you never got promoted. How is that? He told the young guy about 20 years ago when I got hired, I got in a fight with my supervisor, and I won. So the question is, is what's coming out of your mouth, is it something that really needs to be said? Or is it just something that you really want to say to feel better? And it might make you feel better for a little bit, but you're going to miss out on something great in life. Uh, David was a young shepherd boy, and his father told him to take some food to his brothers. They were in the prestigious position of the Israelite army. And David travels a long way with some meat and cheese, and he shows up to serve his brothers. When he's there, he sees this huge giant across the field taunting God's people. David started asking everybody, what does the man get who fights this giant and wins this battle? They said in verse 25 of 1 Samuel 17, that man's going to marry the king's daughter and be free from paying taxes. Now, I don't know what the king's daughter looked like. I don't care. I don't want to pay taxes. That's a good deal right there, right? <laughs> and so David's asking this question. And when he starts saying this stuff, his brothers, whom he's there to serve, start making fun of him. His older brother Eliab is trying to embarrass him in front of all these older guys. And he starts saying in verse 28, Why are you even here? Who's watching your flock of scrawny sheep? You spoiled brat. You just came to watch a fight. David, I don't know if you know this or not, he had already defeated a bear and a lion. He could have easily taken out Eliab. Easily. I mean, David had emotions just like everybody in this room. He was embarrassed. He was hurt. I thought, uh, how can you say that? I'm here serving you, and you're going to make fun of me? In verse 30, David did something that very few people know how to do. It says, but David turned away from Eliab. One reason that David was a champion in life is because he knew what battles to engage in, and he knew what battles to walk away from. If David had engaged in that fight with Eliab, he would have missed out on the fight that actually mattered, the reason God sent him there, which was to fight Goliath. Not only that, but David knew, if I fight Goliath, there's going to be a reward. If I fight Eliab, what am I going to win? What am I going to get afterwards? The Bible calls it spoil. Is it worth the battle? Is it worth engaging? Am I actually going to get promoted? Is this fight part of my destiny? Or is it something that's going to ruin what God wants to do in my future? Proverbs 20 verse 3 says, Any fool can start arguments, but it's an honor to cease from strife and avoid a fight. I had the privilege this past week to go to the MMA fights that were at, um, held in Myrtle Beach because a friend of mine got me some front row seats. And I've never watched it on TV or anything, but I went and I, I kind of enjoyed it. The thing that really um, shocked me was not the big, huge, strong guys, but it was the 125-pound men, little, little guys, right? Don't ever judge how well somebody can fight by what they look like. When they came out, I thought, man, I could take him. After about three seconds, I thought, I cannot even touch him. This guy would kill me. 
Those 125-pound men, man, they tear it up. They do all kind of crazy fighting. There was one guy that was from South Carolina. He won the fight. He told he had won every fight since. I think he won over 20 fights in a row. So I looked him up, and I found a very interesting story about this little guy. I better stop calling him a little guy before he shows up here at church. But anyway, he was in Tennessee in Gatlinburg with all of his buddies about a year ago or so, and they were doing where you taste the... Um, the whiskey, or not the whiskey, but the moonshine tasting. They go from place to place. And they end up in one place, and uh, these other guys there started picking on him and calling him names, calling him small. And, and they didn't know he was a fighter. They had no idea this guy was a fighter. And the guy's buddies were saying, dude, take him. Punch his lights out. You could easily kill him. Be done. And the young guy, the fighter, he just turned around and he walked out. When he got outside, his buddy said, why didn't you show him who's boss? You could have wiped the floor with all of them. He looked at him and he said, I'm not getting paid to fight them. If I'm going to get paid, I'll fight. In other words, if there's going to be a reward, if it's part of my destiny, if it's something God's called me to do, yeah, I'll get in there. But if there's no spoil, I'm just going to turn around and walk away. When you feel like opening up your mouth, remember the acronym WAIT, W-A-I-T. It stands for this. Why am I talking? <laughs> Why are these words coming out of my mouth? If I engage... And if I even win, what's my prize? I heard somebody say that peace is that glorious moment in history when everyone stops fighting to reload. <laughs> How many times, honestly, has God spoken to you very clearly and said, shut your mouth, humble yourself, turn around and walk away? Do we do it? Let me rephrase it. Does your spouse do it? No. Matthew 12, 25, a house with internal strife, it's always brought to destruction. Uh, James 3, 16, where there is strife, there is every kind of evil. Let me say this to you. You say, well, I'm right. I got the truth. I, I know what, I, I know I'm right. Okay, even if you're right, even if you speak truth, if you did it in a way that allowed strife, in God's eyes, you lost. You have to remember that even, see, sometimes the only thing that keeps us um, from turning around is, well, we're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even if you're right, if you bring strife in, you're wrong and you lose. I heard a true story about this couple. Um, they were celebrating their 50th wedding anniversary. And at the big party, everybody was there in the family, and they told how in 50 years of marriage, they never once got into a single fight. Not a disagreement, not an argument, nothing. Everybody said, well, how in the world can this be? And so he told him the story. He said, well, 50 years ago when we got married, it was the early 1900s, he said, uh, we left the wedding chapel, and uh, we got on our wagon, headed to the honeymoon destination. We had a mule named Gus that was pulling us where we needed to go. And he said, we got in there, I got my arm around my new bride, and Gus started veering off to the right. So he said, I jerked Gus back in place, and I got off the wagon, and I looked Gus in the eyes, and I said, Gus, that's one. Got back on the wagon, put my arm around my bride, headed to her honeymoon destination. About a mile or two in, Gus started veering off to the right again. So I jerked Gus back in place. I got off the wagon. I said, Gus, that's two. Got back on. We were so excited to go. About three miles down the road, Gus did it a third time. Started veering off to the right. And I jerked him back in place. I got my shotgun, and I put it right between his eyes, and I shot him dead right there. I re-harnessed a new mule. Got back on the wagon, put my arm around my bride, and she started screaming at me. Are you crazy? What's wrong with you? I can't believe you shot Gus. There is something going on. I cannot believe this. Ah, you are crazy. He said, honey, I looked at her and I said, babe, that's one. 
From that day forward, he said, we never got in a fight ever again. There was peace in our home. The second service loves my jokes. <laughs> Ephesians 4.29, let no unwholesome talk ever, everybody say ever. ever, ever come out of your mouth, but only say what is good and beneficial to the spiritual progress of others, that it may be a blessing to those who hear it, and the Amplified says, and at the right time. That means even if you got the right thing to say and you got it all worked out, even God says it needs to be in the right timing, in the right timing. Point number two for your notes is this, pursue peace. Pursue peace. So if point number one is to stop strife by closing your mouth, the best way to pursue peace a lot of times is just close your ears. 1 Peter 3.11, seek peace and harmony. Do not merely desire peaceful relationships. Pursue them. There are people that I like to call peace stealers. These peace stealers, they love to try to trap you into conversations. They love to try to kind of get their theology out and see what you think about, you know, the book of Revelation, just so they can kind of correct you and tell you what you're doing wrong. They love to tell you the most juicy gossip, rumors, anything like that. But your ears are not trash cans for people to dump their garbage in. Because if it goes in your ear, listen, it gets right into your heart. And it affects everything in your life. Proverbs 6, 16 through 19 says this, There are six things the Lord hates. Now, half of the six things he hates have to do with what we say and what we listen to. The Lord hates a lying tongue, a false witness who breathes half-truths. In other words, they hear half the story and they share that. One who spreads discord or rumors among the brethren. Now, I have a picture to show you what it's like to kind of see a half-truth and go tell somebody. It's not to be offensive, okay? If it, you're offended by this, email us at firstbaptistchurch.com in Myrtle Beach, okay? Take a look. Is that not hilarious? I thought that was hilarious. Maybe I shouldn't show the second service. It looks like he's flicking somebody off from one angle, but from the truth angle, he's actually saying the number three. Is that not funny to y'all? Wow, then I better not say the next thing I'm about to say. I'm going to try it anyway. So listen, I got an illustration for people that like to, 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 to tell you all the you know, latest rumors. My mentor came up with this. This was not my idea. Not my idea. My mentor is an older gentleman who is brilliant. He has 160 IQ. He has a church of thousands of people in Atlanta, in Marietta, Georgia, okay? This is his analogy, not mine. He said, that, this is not mine. I did not come up with this, okay? Not come up with this. I don't even know if I'm going to say it now. My goodness. And we're recording the first service today. We usually record the second. Y'all are usually my guinea pigs. But anyway, Lord, just don't be, please don't be offended. We forgive. We forgive if we get offended, okay? So he said that people that like to, you know, gossip and spread rumors, he said it's like somebody that, <laughs> I can't even say it. He said it's like somebody that farts. He said it feels really good to them, but it poisons everybody around them. They all got to breathe it in. My mom comes to the next service. I can't say that with my mom here. I do have an acronym for you, GAS, Gossip and Slander. Next time they give it to you, you just say, dude, did you just break wind right in my face? <clears throat> Winston Churchill was a great man of integrity, a great leader. In his last year in office, this is a true story, he attended a ceremony, and several rows behind him, there were these two gentlemen who were whispering about him. One said, man, that's Winston Churchill up there. They say he's going senile. The other guy said, yeah, he's way too old to be running this nation. The other guy said back, man, they should find somebody younger. 
Somebody's smarter. He's not even that smart. On and on they went. At the very end of the ceremony, Winston Churchill turns around to the guys and he says, gentlemen, they also say that I'm deaf. <laughs> Half-truths. Romans 16, 17, I urge you, my friends, watch out for those who cause divisions. I warn you to turn aside from them and avoid them. Divisions is people who put wedges in between relationships. You know that job that you got? That might be a job from God that God gave you for you to be a light to the people who aren't doing right or who aren't Christians. And then somebody comes in and they say all these things they can say and you think, you know what, I don't even like this job anymore. I, don't like, I need to go work somewhere where there's more Christians. No, you're the light. Uh, the, the divisions, are they, they ruin relationships that God's put together. James 3, 5 says our tongues are small, but it compares it to a spark that can start a forest fire. Every time we come in contact with somebody that's, that's, that's filling us up with strife, we either carry with us a bucket of water or we carry a bucket of gasoline everywhere we go. When they start talking and we say, oh, tell me more, let me tell you what I heard, that's like taking gasoline, just throwing it on the fire. But when we say, listen, we're just going to pray for them, I don't know if it's true, I don't care if it is, and we walk away, it's like taking a big bucket of water and throwing it on the fire and being done with it. Proverbs eleven thirteen says a gossip can't be trusted. A person with honor, they throw water. They keep it hidden. And I don't know if you know this or not. If somebody talks about you, if somebody talks to you about somebody else, they will talk to somebody else about you. It's a hard issue. It's not a circumstance issue. Um, when I was in my early 20s, I had the privilege of being asked to oversee the music for this big Christian convention that went on here in Myrtle Beach. It was in the late 90s, I think it was. And um, the main speaker was a famous pastor at the time who I really enjoyed. I read about a dozen of his books, had some CDs. I even decided to get an autograph, you know. After it was over, the pastors who put it on uh, were taking this famous pastor out to dinner, and they invited me to come along and, you know, just be there. And I was so excited because I was one of the ones on staff. And uh, at dinner, I didn't say a word. I was just mesmerized by all these great men of God and just listening to them talk. At the end of supper, one of the pastors asked the famous guy, they said, we know you're friends with so-and-so and so-and-so. Tell us about what's going on in their ministry. And the two people they named were pastors who were on TBN uh, for years and years, still are on TBN, two of my really favorite international pastors, really favorite pastors. And the guy said, oh, let me tell you about them. One of them is getting in trouble with this and this and this. The other one has this secret life going on, and on and on he went. Man, I wanted to throw up all over the table. I thought, why are you telling us all this? I was young and ignorant. I should have walked away and got up, but I didn't. I just sat there. My face was turning red. I was embarrassed. What made me sick to my stomach was that one or two of the pastors were saying, tell us more. Man, I can't believe that. Let me hear what you got. On and on they went. After it was over, do you know I was not upset at the two pastors he was talking about. I was upset at the guy that was telling us all the stuff. Now, to make the whole story incredibly sad is that three years later, almost to the T, three years later, the pastor that was saying all the stuff, he ended up getting in trouble for something. And I know sin is sin, and it's all the same. But in the world's eyes, what he got in trouble for was way worse than the things he was talking about the other two guys. Galatians 6, 1 says, If any person is overtaken in sin, the spiritual people should gently restore. That's a person of honor and peace. Now, let me ask you a question before I get to point three. If it were your child who had gotten in trouble and you heard people talking about your child, how would you feel? Then if you found out somebody came and restored your child, how would you feel? 
This happened in, in my life. Uh, I have five kids and one of my sons, I'm not going to say his name, it rhymes with slack. Um, <laughs> he had made straight A's all his life, great athlete, and then all of a sudden there was a time in high school where uh, he just went completely rogue. He, he started getting into drugs and his grades slipped and, and as, as, as an incredible athlete that he was, no coaches wanted him on their team because of his attitude. I mean, just getting in trouble. Horrible, horrible. We tried everything. We took him to a prison where there were children in prison, and they would give their testimony for why they were in prison, and they were doing the same things that, that my son was doing. Uh, he was getting in trouble with the law, um, attitude, disrespect. We took away everything he had. We sent him to live with his grandparents. We sent him to live with a friend and made him work 40 hours a week in a garage. We tried everything. We shaved his head. We took every piece of clothing but khakis and a white T-shirt. We tried it. We did everything. We read every parenting book. Nothing helped. It was no avail. There was somebody that, there were several people actually, that started talking about my son. Typical pastor's kid. That's just what preacher's kids do. Wouldn't expect anything different. Then there was a coach at his school. His name was Coach Roberts. He took my son under his wing. He started spending time with him after school, training him, giving him drills to do. He would take him through Taco Bell, bring him home to us. We didn't ask him to do this. We didn't, we didn't pay him to do this, none of that stuff. He started um, pouring into my son. Even on the weekends, he'd pick him up, go play sports. My son's grades started going back to straight A's. His disrespect started turning into respect. His attitude started changing. Everything changed. Even when my son would be disrespectful to this coach, call him names, be rude, man, this guy just let it go. He said, I'll do another lap for me. Just go do another lap. Can you believe that God sent this public school coach to restore my son? We, man, we didn't have a lot of money at the time. We would take whatever money we had, buy him gift cards, take his family out to eat. We wrote him a thank you card every other week. I owe my son's life to that coach. Because he gently restored my son. That's a man of honor. That's a man of peace. Point number three is this, what we ponder. Man, you can think about all the horrible things people do you wrong, things you don't like. It's just going to fill your heart with the wrong stuff. Isaiah 26, 3. The Lord gives perfect peace to those whose mind is stayed on him. One translation says his mind is fixed. I know it's hard to do. Listen, I, my mind is I know it's hard to do. That's why we open up the Word on a regular basis. Um, one time Jesus told his disciples, he said uh, uh, in, verse, in Mark 4.35, let us cross over to the other side of the lake. In other words, Jesus said, I got a plan for you. I want you to follow me. And I know we think, well, if I follow Jesus, everything's going to be okay. There's never going to be strife. There's never going to be any kind of storms in life. They're following Jesus. They're in the perfect will of God. And verse 37 says, A furious storm arose of hurricane proportions. You know what I've learned about the peace of God? It's not the easy route that he leads us. It's the difference between being led by peace versus being led by what's easy. You can be in the lion's den and fall asleep in the lion's den because you have the peace of God. You can go through the fiery furnace and have the peace of God. You can be in the middle of the storm and have the peace of God, right? Okay, so they, they started screaming, man, uh, we're going to die. And they went and they woke Jesus up. In verse 38, which is so funny, Jesus was asleep. He said, Master, we're going to die. He said this, be still, peace, and then the storm ceased. Now here's what I want you to see. 
two things. Number one is this. God is in control of the storm. We think when we're in a storm, it's all out of control. No, no, no. He's in control. He's in control of the fiery furnace. He's in control of the lions. He's in control of the storm. Peace is not the absence of storms. Peace is going to Jesus in the midst of the storm. See, the Bible describes Jesus as the Word made flesh, right? The Word made flesh. So you might say they woke up the Word. Um, when we were at MUSC with our youngest son, he was on his deathbed when he was born. They told us he's going to die. You know, we had no peace, no peace at all. But then we got the Word out. And we started putting Scripture up all over the wall. And then all of a sudden, even though the circumstances did not change, we got peace. There's something in every storm called the eye of the storm. You know that, right? 100 mile an hour winds, trees are being snapped in half, and then all of a sudden you're in the eye of the storm, and it's just perfect and peaceful. The eye of the storm is when you get to the place from the Word of God where you say, God, if I die in the fiery furnace, if the lions eat me, whatever happens, I have peace because I completely trust you. And you can get there. Hebrews 4.3 says, those who believe, trust in, and rely on God, they enter into God's rest. So, God's in control of the storms. The other thing is this. Jesus did not talk about the storm. Everybody loves to talk about the problem. They love to talk about the person. They love to talk about the president. They love to talk about all the bad things. Jesus did that. He spoke directly to the storm. He spoke directly to it. Um, I've learned that the reason ships sink is not because of all the water around them. It's because of the water if it gets inside of them. So when the wrong things get inside of you, that's what's going to cause you to sink, right? You may be in a storm, but don't let the storm get inside of you. Proverbs 3.17, the wisdom from the word brings peace. And I love this. I saw this on a church billboard one day. No God, no peace. K-N-O-W God, K-N-O-W peace. I'll tell you a true story, then I'll let you go. Um, there was a man named Horatio Spafford back in the early 1800s. He was a very, very wealthy businessman. And he and his family were traveling overseas and he sent his wife and four daughters ahead of him. He was going to catch up with them later. They were on a ship crossing the Atlantic, and the ship had a collision. And that day, all four of their daughters uh, drowned in the water, and they lost their lives. The wife wired a message to her husband. The title of the message was, Saved Alone. Weeks later, Mr. Spafford took a ship to meet his wife. Halfway through the voyage, the captain notified him that we are at the exact spot where your daughters lost their lives just a few weeks before. When Mr. Spafford heard that, he took out a pen, a piece of paper, and he wrote this song. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. No matter what comes our way in life, we need the peace of God to be able to say, it's well with my soul. Philippians 4, 7 says, the peace of God which surpasses all human understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. When we learn to shut our mouth, close our ears, and open our mind to the word, you will have peace in your heart and your mind. Amen? 
Amen. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Let's go to the Lord in prayer today. We never like to close our service without giving the Holy Spirit a chance to speak to you uh, directly, one-on-one. Maybe there's been strife in your home. Strife in your heart. Strife at work. If it stays, it will be brought to destruction. But you have the ability to release it today and get the peace back. Without peace, you won't know the direction to take in life. If you're here today and you have somehow given your peace away and you want it back, can you just lift your hand so I can pray for you real quick? Hands up. 30 seconds. Lord, thank you for everybody who lifted their hand right now. God is a sign of faith. We realize that we can do nothing without you. We can't breathe without you. We can't lift our hand without you. So right now, God, we humble ourselves and say we need your peace and we need it now. We need that peace that passes all human understanding. We need that peace to guard our hearts and our minds. We need that peace to lead us and direct us. So, Lord, right now we speak peace to every heart in this room. We speak peace to the confusing situations. We speak peace to the relationships, the friendships. We speak peace to the workplace. Lord, convict us strongly. Teach us daily when to shut our mouth, when to close our ears, and when to open up your word. We thank you for the wisdom in your word. We thank you for the direction that you give us through your word. We thank you for doing what only you can do, Lord, to help us get to the point where we can say, no matter what's going on, it is well, it is well with my soul. We thank you, Jesus, for being the Prince of Peace. We thank you that even when your birth was announced, it was announced with peace and goodwill toward men. Lord, we thank you so much for doing what only you can do in this place. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. Amen.